Please be seated. All right, good morning. It is good to be worshiping with you guys again. My name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors of the church. Uh, It's good to be back with you, uh, back together with the family of God. I've been gone for the past couple of weeks. Uh, Two weeks ago, I was able to vacation with my family in the mountains. And uh, if you are only familiar with eastern North Carolina and you have not taken part in the delights of Western North Carolina. I highly recommend it. Like the ground does weird things. It like goes up and down. I know that doesn't happen around here, but like weird stuff happens out there. Uh, So it's good to be back with you. Uh, Last week I got to uh, what I call play Marine. I used to be a Marine and do that all day, every day, but now every once in a while I I, I pretend that I'm a Marine. So I was able to do that uh, last week. Uh, but it's, been bi- it's good to be back together with the family of God. Uh, we were talking about it this morning in our prayer circle with uh, those who are going to be on the platform and those who are serving us in the audiovisual booth back there. And uh, a few of us have kind of been in and out a little bit this summer and just like, man, it's good to be back together uh, worshiping with the family of God. I want you to think about that phrase for a second, the family of God. What comes to your mind when you think about the family of God? What do you think about? Like, does God have a family? Like, what's that mean? If God does have a family, what does his family look like? Like, how do the family members interact with one another inside the family and with those who are outside the family? What's that look like? How can we be a part of the family of God? Am I a part of the family of God? You should be asking yourself, are you a part of the family of God? If you are a part of the family of God, how did you get to be a part of the family of God? And if you're not a part of the family of God, how could you become a part of the family of God if that's even possible? This morning, we're going to start to answer a lot of these questions questions from our passage. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me. Uh, you were really close to it in the scripture reading this morning uh, in Philippians in uh, Ephesians 2. We're actually going to be just one book uh, to the right, Philippians chapter 2. We're going to be continuing our study through this uh, relatively short letter from the Apostle Paul to the saints, to the church, to the Christians in Philippi, along with the overseers, the pastors, elders, and the deacons. So we're working our way through this. We're going to start this morning in Philippians chapter 2, verse 19. We're going to go through the end of chapter 2. And in our passage this morning, the writer, the Apostle Paul, is going to continue some language that has been really throughout the letter already and is going to continue It's messages of unification. There's also a lot of family language that the Apostle Paul has used, is going to use in our passage, and we'll see it again as we continue on through the letter. Family unifying language. We've seen it already. We're going to see it again. What we're going to see this morning is that our response should be this. Pursue gospel-centered unity in the family of God. Pursue gospel-centered unity in the family of God. Pick it up with me in Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me, and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also." 
I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death, but God had mercy on him and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. God, thank you for the beautiful examples of godly living that we get in the scriptures. God, I pray that through these examples and through your word, you would help us to grow more like Christ. And that we would never forget the truths of uh, the song that we just sang, that it is only through Christ that we can have the things that we have and even live the way that we live. God, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, what I think we'll see in our passage this morning that we're to be doing is to pursue gospel-centered unity in the family of God. This passage is really the Apostle Paul explaining to the Philippian church his wrestling through who he's going to send this letter to them uh, in the hands of, right? So when we send a message to somebody, we might say, well, am I going to send a text message or an email? Am I going to pick up the phone and call them? Or am I going to use WhatsApp? Or am I going to, right? We have all these different ways to send a message to somebody else. The Apostle Paul, he's in prison, most likely in Rome, and he's going to send a letter to this church that he loves and he's looking around, he's like, all right, I don't want to send it with just some stranger. This is a church I love. I'm going to send it with one of these guys that's with me. And he's going to wrestle through two guys. Am I going to send it with Timothy? So he talks about Timothy for a little while. Or am I going to send it with Epaphroditus? And he talks about Epaphroditus for a little while. And as Paul writes about these two men and his relationship with these two men, we will see two vivid examples of the difficult teaching that Paul has already been teaching the Philippian church in this letter. It's like he's, he's telling them hard teaching in the letter, and then he's pointing to the guy that carried the letter uh, to them as an example. But he starts with the guy he did not send. He starts to discuss his relationship with Timothy. So in verses 19 through 24, it's in most of your Bibles, it's probably a nice, neat paragraph there where the Apostle Paul is talking about Timothy. Timothy is Paul's son in the faith, who Paul is going to send to the Philippian church later. He's not going to send him now, he's going to send him later. When he learns what's going to happen with himself, Paul. Is he going to be sentenced to death for the gospel? Is he going to be released? Is he going to have to serve 20 years? Like what's going to happen with Paul there in Rome? I want you to notice a few things about uh, Paul explaining why he's not sending Timothy to Philippi and what and some things about his relationship with Timothy. Notice verse 19. The reason Paul would send Timothy now is to cheer himself up, right? Notice that, verse 19, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. Soon, why? So that I too may be cheered by news of you. So the reason the Apostle Paul is going to send Timothy at any point is to receive cheering for himself, but he says, I'm going to wait, I'm going to do that at a later time. Instead, he's going to send Epaphroditus, which we'll see here in a second. So Timothy is Paul's guy, right? He's his son in the faith. He's the guy who would return to Paul and he would cheer Paul with news from the Philippian church. Paul would be encouraged by this. This church that he loves dearly, hearing news of them. Paul's motive in sending Timothy would be his own cheering. But I want you to notice how Paul commends Timothy. Like some of the good things he says about 
Timothy. He says, Timothy is genuinely concerned for the welfare of the Philippian church. He's not like the others who look only to their own interests that he talks about in verse 21, but instead, Timothy is concerned for others. Do you hear the echoes that we have in this letter? Does that sound familiar? Have we heard that language anywhere else? That he is genuinely concerned for your welfare, not seeking his own interest? Well, look back with me, still in Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 2. Paul wrote this, Philippians chapter 2, in verse 2. He said this to the Philippian church, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So the Apostle Paul has told the Philippian church, this is what it looks like to walk in a manner worthy of Christ. And then he's saying, look, when I send Timothy to you and you know Timothy, you know what he's about. This is what he's about. He's concerned for others' welfare. Timothy is an example to the church in Philippi. That's interesting. We'll come back to that here in a second. But also notice something else that The Apostle Paul says to commend Timothy in verse 22. Paul calls Timothy his son in the faith and he, Paul, his father. Now, if we read this in the context of the New Testament, this is a bit shocking. This is a bit shocking. You can turn there if you'd like or just listen as I kind of explain. But back in Acts chapter 16 is when we first meet this guy, Timothy. Acts chapter 16, at the very beginning of the chapter, we meet Timothy. The Apostle Paul is already an apostle, right? He's already been planting churches. He's already proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's already suffering for the faith. And this young man, Timothy, joins him at the beginning of Acts chapter 16, and this is just before they go to Philippi to uh, the miraculous planting of the church in Philippi that we see later on in Acts chapter 16. But Timothy joins Paul in this spiritual father-son relationship that lasts at least a decade, at least a decade. It might be closer to two decades that they have this type of relationship. You see, when we hear language, the, the thing that's astonishing, when we hear language of father-son, we think of people who are exactly alike in every way, right? Oh, he looks like his dad. He has the same mannerisms of his dad. He has the same turns of phrase as his dad. We think of people who look alike and are exactly alike. When we think of the family of God, we picture people who look like us, who think like us, who talk like us, who vote like us, who think the same thing about everything like us. We agree about every current event. We agree about every disagreement that's happening in our society. That's what we picture when we think about the family of God. Ah, yes, the family of God. If it's good, they have to agree with me. Isn't that how we think? But that is not the case with Paul and Timothy. Paul's upbringing, which he'll talk about in our passage next week in chapter 3, Paul's upbringing is that of a very devout Jew. Very devout. He grew up, he calls himself in chapter 3, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was, as to learning and as to practice, he was a Pharisee. He's like the spiritual PhDs of his day. Timothy, we learn in Acts chapter 16, is not that at all. Not only is he younger, but his mother was a Jew, but his father was a Gentile. His father was a Greek. And when he met Paul, even though Timothy was already a young man, he was not yet circumcised. That's like being Jewish 101, is being circumcised and starting to walk in 
the law. So Timothy is a long way from the devout Judaism of Paul's upbringing. This father-son relationship is not like two guys that automatically agree about everything. They're actually from very different backgrounds, and they unify around the gospel of Jesus Christ, not around secondary other issues. Here we have in Paul's relationship with Timothy some wonderful truths that we can apply in our lives today. How can we build this gospel-centered unity in this family of God in 2021, Jacksonville, North Carolina, in our days, in our lives, how can we apply these things? Well, notice in verse 20, we can act with genuine concern for others' welfare. We can act with genuine concern with others' welfare. Again, this is an echo to what we saw back at the beginning of uh, chapter Two that we now see lived out in the life of Timothy, and it is to be lived out in our lives as well, that we look not only to our own interests, but also to the interests of others. Listen, I know, I am confident, 100% confident that everyone in here is concerned for your own welfare. That's a given, right? You woke up this morning, if you were thirsty, what did you do? You got something to drink. If you were hungry, what did you do? You got something to eat. If somebody got in your way this morning, what did you do? You told them they were in your way. Right? You are concerned for your welfare. That's a given. There's nothing, there is nothing extraordinary. There is nothing Christ-like. There is nothing Christian about looking out for yourself. What is supernatural, what is different about the people of God is when we concern ourselves for somebody else. When we concern ourselves for another person's interest, another person's welfare. So I encourage you to, to just kind of start down this path. When you're talking with one another after church, you might ask, how are you today? Now, they'll probably give you a fake answer. Like, oh, I'm good. Everything's great, right? Okay, ask again. No, no, no. How, how are you doing? You might ask the question, how can I pray for you? And the first answer is probably going to be something that that person is praying for, and they're inviting you to pray with them for that thing, Right? And you listen and you say, man, that's great. I, I want to pray with you about that thing. And I will do that and commit to that and actually do that. But then ask, but how can I pray for you? What is a challenge in your life that I can pray to God on behalf of you? Being concerned for the interests of others. We want to be concerned not just for the things that are concerning other people, but for the people themselves. Second big application just here from, from Timothy is from verse 22. We should be building spiritual father-son relationships. If you're a woman, write down mother-daughter relationships. Spiritual father-son, mother-daughter relationships. Let us strive to find for ourselves spiritual mentors, fathers and mothers in the faith, people who are significantly older and or more spiritually mature than us, that we would seek them out and say, wow, you've lived more life than I have. I would like to learn from you. Once we get a few years under our belts, let us seek out spiritual sons and daughters. Paul writes in Titus 2 that these are to be same gender relationships, that older men are to be teaching younger men and older women are to be teaching younger women. It's amazing, the Apostle Paul even tells Titus what the older men are to be teaching the younger men and what the older women are to be teaching younger women. So if you're wondering, like, I don't know what to teach them, go to Titus chapter 2 and start with those things. Men, it's really easy. Older men teach younger men one thing. Anybody know what it is? Yell it out. 
Self-control. Nate, you had it, man. I tell my sons this all the time. Self-control. That's all you got to teach. Older men, teach younger men. You see a guy that has no self-control, come beside him and be like, hey, brother, there's one thing I can tell you for certainty that God wants for your life, for you to be able to control your own body. Learn self-control. Don't forget Paul and Timothy. The basis of this point that I'm talking about, they're not 100% like one another. Right? Don't just find the person that already agrees with you to affirm you and tell you everything you want to hear about how awesome you are. That's not what we're talking about here. Someone who you will actually have an influence in their life and they in your life. They're very different. Paul is a Pharisee, become a Christian. Timothy was a synagogue outcast to become a Christian. Very different. So let me ask you, do you have a spiritual father or mother? It'd be even better if you have a few, right? I don't think we're supposed to like hitch our wagon to one person and just like follow them forever. But do you have spiritual mentors in your life? If not, who do you need to talk to about forming this type of relationship? If the Holy Spirit is prompting you like you need a stronger relationship with this person who could be a spiritual mentor in your life, write that down. Send yourself a text message, a note, however it is you remember to do stuff. Reach out to Bob, reach out to Miss Sally, reach out, whatever it is, reach out and foster that relationship. Also, do you have any spiritual children? You have people who are younger than you or younger than the faith in you. And you've noticed some zeal in that, but you also have noticed that they have some things that they could use some help in. Approach them and offer this type of relationship. I think of the Old Testament, uh, Moses, right? Most of us have heard of Moses. Maybe you watched an artistic representation of a movie, right? With Moses and Ten Commandments. Maybe you've heard of him. Maybe you haven't heard of his father-in-law, Jethro. He shows up to him one day and he says, man, what, what you're doing? Not good. It is not good. Let me help you out. All right. He may, takes the initiative. Honestly, the initiative can come from either direction. Uh, one hint here, if you're looking for spiritual children, if you have like earthly children, like children that are in your household, that's a good place to start right there. Kids, if you have a father and mother who love Jesus, that's a good place to start. Church, we should be filled with deep-rooted father-son, mother-daughter, spiritual mentors to spiritual mentee relationships in our church family. We should just be filled with those types of relationships. Now, we've spent some time talking about the guy that Paul's not sending with the letter, right? And like, he's going to send that guy later. He's going to send Timothy later. So Paul talks next in verse 25 and following about Epaphroditus, verses 25 through 30, his relationship with Epaphroditus. So instead of sending Timothy, the apostle Paul is going to send Epaphroditus with this letter to the Philippian Church. I want you to notice a few things about Epaphroditus. Verse 25, Paul has a brotherly relationship with Epaphroditus. You see this family language that is just kind of all throughout this book? If you're reading Philippians kind of once a week as, as we're working through it as a church, that'd be a great idea. Just notice all the times he uses father, son, brother type brethren, that type of relationship. Verse 25, Paul has a brotherly relationship with Epaphroditus. This is his fellow worker. This is his fellow soldier. This is not a father-son relationship. This is a brotherly relationship. Also in verse 25, we learn that Epaphroditus is a worker who is sent from Philippi. He says, this is your messenger. This is your minister that you sent to me to minister to me and with me. That's what we learn about Epaphroditus. He's sent to minister to Paul and with Paul. We learn in verses 26 through 28 that Epaphroditus, on this mission to minister to Paul and with Paul, he has become sick all the way to the point that he almost died. And so that is why 
the Apostle Paul is sending Epaphroditus back to Philippi with this letter so that the church and Epaphroditus may be reunited. And so Paul pictures this joyful unification. He says that you may rejoice at seeing him again. He pictures this joyful reunification, both for Epaphroditus to be back with his home church, and then also for the church to have their mission worker come home and give reports from the mission field. I hope you're following the selflessness that Paul is displaying here. The others-centered thoughts and action that Paul is living out. Right? He says, look, sending Timothy to you would benefit you, and then I'd get him back and I'd be cheered by news of you. But I'm going to send him later. Right now, I'm going to send Epaphroditus, who almost died. Now he's well enough to minister to me and with me, and he can be a benefit to me. But I see that he misses you and you miss him, and you're wondering if you're ever going to be able to see each other again. I'm going to send him with this letter because I know it will be a benefit to you. Do not miss the other-centeredness of what the Apostle Paul is doing here in this simple, so-called simple decision of sending this letter to this church. That would be enough, right? Like, Paul's selfless thoughts, his selfless actions, that would be significant, right? We can learn a lot from that. But he actually goes even further than that. I want you to notice verse 28. Verse 28, he says, I'm the more eager to send him, Epaphroditus, therefore, that, so that, for the reason, that you may rejoice at seeing him again. Okay, that's, that's significant. But he says, and that I, Paul, may be less anxious. I'll, I'll tell you that phrase, Paul being less anxious at this action that I just talked about, like, messed with my head for a while this week. Like, I'm like, how is Paul less anxious? Like, how does this scene in any way make Paul less anxious? Paul just said, the guy you sent me who has ministered to me and worked alongside me, I consider him a brother and a fellow co-worker and a fellow soldier. I'm in prison in Rome for the gospel. I'm waiting to see if I'll be executed or if I'll be released. This guy that you sent me, he almost died. We've nursed him back to health. He's finally physically well enough to continue on the mission and able to minister to me and with me. I'm going to send him with this letter. It would make sense to me if at this point, the Apostle, Saul said, the Apostle Paul said, you know, sending Epaphroditus to you is going to make me more anxious. It's going to make my life harder, but I'm willing to do it as a sacrifice to you. That would make sense to me, but that's not what Paul says in the text. He says that sending Epaphroditus and the joy that they're going to have at the reunification that Paul's not going to be at, he says that event is going to make him less anxious. And the only answer I can come up with is that Paul can be less anxious because his anxiety on this topic is not for himself, but instead it's for others. His anxiety is his sympathizing with Epaphroditus and the Philippian church. He sees his brother Epaphroditus wondering if he's ever going to make it home again to reunite with his home church. And share the stories of the mission field. And what God has done in his life and through his life. And he's thinking about the Philippian church who has sent this missionary away. And wondering if they will ever see him again in this life. So Paul is joining them in that anxiousness. That anxiety. And when they joyfully reunite. Their anxiety and Paul's anxiety will be lessened together. Fascinating. So let's apply these ideas that we see to us. Several points for us. 
verse 25 builds brotherly relationships. If you're a woman, sisterly relationships. Arm in arm, hand in hand, fellow worker, fellow soldier relationships. Yes, I want all the Marines to write down fellow soldier. It'll be good. It'll be sanctifying for you. Like, I'm not a soldier. That's okay. It'll be good for you. It'll really help you. Rich, I know you're going to write fellow soldier. Yes, finally, here it is. But listen, not only do we need father-son, mother-daughter, mentor-to-mentee relationships in the church, we also need brother-to-brother relationships in the church. We need sister-to-sister relationships in the church. We need fellow workers, fellow soldier relationships in the church. So who are you locking arms with in this gospel-centered life? Who are you locking arms with? Who are you side by side with? Who do you need to pursue deeper, more meaningful relationship with? Again, if the Holy Spirit's prompting you with a name or a person, you should write that down, make note of it. I need to spend some more time with this person. I need to reach out to this person. Maybe your relationship, maybe you have a pretty strong relationship with that person, but it's been based on trivial things like maybe a mutual interest or a hobby or a sports team or something like that. You need to talk to them about the gospel work and be co-workers and co-laborers in the gospel. Who is that for you? If you don't know where to start, maybe you're new in town here in a few weeks, we're going to be restarting as a church our community groups. All right, these are smaller groups that meet in homes all throughout Onslow County. All right, so as you see those roll out, you're like that. Just so if you're wondering, like, how do I, there's a lot of people in here. I don't think I can get to know everybody. And there's a lot of coming and going. The community group is a, a smaller group where you can get to know other people and you can be known by other people. So build brotherly relationships. Secondly, as we think about Epaphroditus and, and how we apply this, Verse 28, we are to sympathize with others. Sympathize with others. Like the Apostle Paul, we need to feel feelings with others, on behalf of others. We need to be anxious with them. We need to be joyful with them. Yes, at times we even need to be angry with them. Righteous anger, anger, not unrighteous anger, but we need to be angry with them. So again, kind of default, I know we all care about our own welfare. We all care about feeding ourselves. We all care about our comfort. I'm also confident that you have experienced emotions this week. Things have made you happy. Things have made you sad. Things have made you hurt. Things have made you offended. Things have angered you. Things have caused anxiety in your life. But I would contend, by and large, for all of us, those feelings and those emotions have been solely revolving around us, ourselves. I've been offended. I am angry. Something good happened to me, I am happy, I am joyful, right? But when was the last time we genuinely entered into the experience of another human being and said, man, I am so happy for you. I am, jo- I am celebrating with you in this, like my spirit is with your spirit in celebrating this joyful thing, this evil that has been done to you. I'm going to walk with you in this and the anger that you have about this injustice. I'm angry with you. I'm angry with you. So as you think about this one, who have you been keeping at arm's distance? Because you know that getting closer is going to require you to invest emotionally with them. Who is that? Right? Who have you been neglecting because you don't want to enter into that with them because of your own selfishness? What would it look like to change that this week and to enter into 
the experience to include the emotional experience with another human being? What would that look like? Now, as we zoom out, right? Zoom back out. We have seen a lot of what it looks like to be in the family of God, right? So the Apostle Paul is writing to Christians. He's even writing to the leaders of the church, the servants of the church, the deacons of the church. He's writing to Christians. We have seen a lot about what it looks like to be in the family of God. We've seen the example of the Apostle Paul. We've seen the example of his spiritual son, Timothy. We've seen the example of his spiritual brother, Epaphroditus. We've even seen, kind of by uh, intimation, the, the faithfulness of the Philippian church. They have beautiful, amazing, gospel-centered unity, and that example is very, can be very helpful to us. However, we must ask a deeper, bigger-picture question so that we not leave it here, right? Almost like what Vinny said in the last song we sang, like if, if we sing this song and then we don't get to the yet not I, but through but Christ through me or however that is worded there. Right. So like it we can't stop too soon. Right. This gathering is not like a football locker room. And I'm the coach like, hey, guys, let's get out there and let's do better than you did last week. Last week you lost to that team, and this week you got to do better, and you got to work harder, and you got to try better, right? Like, I'm not the guy for the win one for the Gipper speech. This gathering's not also like an operations order where I'm like a commanding officer telling you, well, here's your marching orders, this is what you're supposed to do, I'm in charge, you go do it. That's not what this gathering is. This gathering is to be those who gather under the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. The man who stands in this position week after week and opens up the scriptures week after week, and I understand we switch it out on a pretty regular basis, but all of us, our goal is to be a herald of good news. That's what we're here to do. So what is the good news? Pastor J.D. read a very important aspect of the good news from Philippians, or sorry, Ephesians chapter 2, the second half of the chapter. We get this beautiful picture of the gospel in Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. What is the good news? The good news is that people who were once strangers and aliens to God, Jesus, the people of God, the family of God, people who were out there as strangers and aliens of God and His people have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. And the passage ends that the people of God, those who have been bought by the blood of Christ, they are being built together into the household of God. They are now fellow citizens with the saints and members of of the household of God. They're being built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, and Christ Jesus himself is our big brother, and he is our cornerstone. That's the good news, that those who are outside the family of God can come inside to the family of God. His family, the family of God, gives us, then once we're in, we get the heart and the mind of Jesus Christ. That's also good news, right? We don't have to just like, well, explain to everybody our personality. Well, I'm just an angry guy. Okay, that's, that's interesting. That's helpful. But let me tell you about Jesus, right? Well, I'm just a person that tells it like it is. Okay, that's, that's good. That's helpful. But let's talk about Jesus. Right? We are to be conformed into his image and likeness. So once we're in the family of God, bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, we then get the mind of Jesus Christ. Notice in uh, Philippians chapter 2, uh, a couple weeks ago, Scott preached through this, so hopefully you'll recall. Philippians chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2, uh, back up in verse 5. 
have, so he's, he's telling them, look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So what do you just say there? Christians have the mind of Christ Jesus. Now, for us today, the mind of Christ that is within we who are Christians is clouded, it is corrupted, it is twisted. Jonathan did a great job last week talking about that twisted, that corrupted, like the mind of Christ is twisted and corrupted in our mind, and we have to constantly be renewing our minds to make our minds more like Christ. So if you're a Christian, what we need to be doing is to know Jesus Christ. We need to walk in His ways. If we come to a fork in the road and we say, well, my flesh wants to do this, but as I read in the Scriptures, Jesus is like this, we go towards what Jesus is like. And we start walking in His ways and not our ways. We examine ourselves. Whatever does not align to the revealed mind of Jesus Christ in the Scriptures, we repent of that mind, we turn away from that mind, and we walk in the mind and the heart and the actions of Jesus Christ. You see, my flesh wants to be anxious for me and my stuff, but Christ is anxious for others. My flesh wants to be joyful when good things come to me, Christ teaches me to rejoice when good things happen in others' lives as well. My flesh wants to choose the path that benefits me the most. Christ teaches me to choose the path that benefits others and serves others. That's what the life of the Christian is to be like. If you're not a Christian, then you do not have this mind of Christ. You don't have this mind of Christ because you're a stranger, you're an alien of Christ and his mind. It's weird to you. Some of the things I've said this morning probably sound weird to you, like what? Be anxious because somebody else is anxious? Uh, no thanks. I got, enough, I got enough stuff of my own. You're a stranger. It's, it's all foreign to you. And what you need is the blood of Jesus Christ to bring you near, to bring you into the family of God. To bring you in. What's been happening to this point is that you have been spending your life in selfish pursuits. And whether you've admitted it to anybody else or not, I know something is very true. That has left you feeling very empty and hopeless because you've been trying to get everybody around you to serve you and pour into you and take care of your needs and it is it is just this spiral that just has no end to it and you're trying to fill something in you that will never be filled by by other people around you or by more money or by more stuff or by whatever the case may be it's not going to fulfill you it's not going to fulfill you it will always leave you wanting more. If you want to test this, I encourage you to, to pick one topic, right? Because one of the ways that Satan is using your mind against you to destroy you is by lying to you, right? So let's just take one topic, money. Satan is telling you, and your flesh is agreeing with it, what I need is a little bit more. I just need a little more money. And if I had a little more money, then I would be happy. Right? So if you're telling yourself that lie, write it down. And I, I'm guessing, for most of us, you'll actually get a little bit more money not too long away. Right? Some money will flow your way. You'll get a promotion. The government will decide to give you a raise. Whatever happens, and you'll have a little bit more. And you'll still be wanting. And you'll go back and you'll look at that and you'll say, man, I said that if I had a little bit more, I'd be happy. I lied to myself. I'm a liar. I need help. Or you might say, maybe you're single and you're like, man, if I just had a, if I just had a wife or if I just had a husband, then I'd be happy. Right? Write that down. Write that down. 
and then come talk to me a month after marriage, and you're like, ah, still something lacking. She's great, but still not everything I thought it might be. He's, he's cool, but not everything that I thought it would be. Living life for yourself will always leave you wanting more. Always. You need Jesus. You need to repent. That just fancy word for turn away from. You need to turn away from living life for yourself and instead start living your life for the glory of God through his son, Jesus Christ. And then you can join us imperfectly, but trying to pursue gospel-centered unity in the family of God. I love you guys. Let's pray. God, thank you for the amazing, miraculous, I can't wrap my brain around it work that we can go from strangers and aliens to become fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. God, I pray for the Christian in here this morning who has been working this week to try to earn favor with you. And they think that to for you to be a pleased father, that they have to be the perfect son or daughter. I pray for that person this week. That you would show them your love for them that is not dependent on them, but instead is an overflow of you, God, who is love. God, that their spirit would cry out that you are their father. God, I pray that the applications this morning would not be, oh man, there's something else I got to do and I, I got to get, God, God won't be happy and pleased unless I do this. Instead, that they would rest in the work of Christ. God, I pray for the person here who is outside of the family of God. Who thinks that they're too far gone. That there's no way that they could ever be a part of the family of God. God, I pray that you would drop the scales from their eyes to see you for who you are. That you're the father who sent the son to live the perfect life on our behalf, that we might be saved and brought into, adopted into the family of God. God, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. As we continue on in our time together this morning, uh, we're going to sing a few songs together. We're going to prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper together. Uh, we're going to do a few things. Uh, I would encourage you to take this time. How do you need to respond? So as the musicians come up, uh, I would encourage you, like, how, how are you going to respond? If you're, if you're the person that's outside the family of God and you're like, I got lots of questions. I got to think through some things. I got to ask, like, I got some stuff I got to work through. The first person I'd recommend that you reach out to is if a member invited you here with them, reach out to that member. Like a member of this church brought you with them, say, hey, that dude, do you agree with that stuff? Like, man, I got a lot of questions. And just so you know, that member might have to phone a friend and be like, hey, let me call some help. Let me call one of my spiritual mentors to come help us with this conversation. All right, that might happen, but I would encourage you to reach out. If you don't know anybody uh, here, I would encourage you, uh, to come up front. I'll hang out up front. Uh, Pastor JD might hang out front as well. Uh, all the folks that you see on the platform are members or the child of a member, uh, and so you can come up and speak with one of us as well. 
but how do you need to respond uh, this morning? If you would, stand with us and continue to worship through song together. Uh, so the next song we're singing is uh, structured as a call and response. Uh, we'll sing a question, and then there's an answer that's uh, sung along. Uh, you can sing everything. You can sing the answers. You can sing the questions with us. Uh, but uh, the first question we'll hear is, do you feel the world is broken? The response is, we do, and it goes on, uh, goes on from there. So please join us in singing, uh, Is He Worthy? Is he worth? 